sermon this morning is this, God's spy and man's overseer. God's spy and man's overseer. If, uh, if you're not by chance already in 1 Corinthians 8, would you please go ahead and do that and find your way there to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Bill just read 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 6. If you're physically able, let's stand for prayer this morning. Let's pray. Lord, there is no God but, but you. And there may be so-called gods in heaven on, or on earth. Yet for us, even for us, Crossway Church of Goldsboro, there is one God, the Father. And you reveal to us so clearly in what we call the New Testament that nothing at all changes from that great confession of, of the Old Testament that there is one God, but we know that this one God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we worship you, our great God, through our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit. Help us now and open your word to us. We could be done in one sense. It seems to me that you've already blessed this service and certainly encourage me and help us in the, in the true worship of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's remain standing. Turn there, 1 Corinthians 8. Let me just read verse 7 for right now. 1 Corinthians 8, 7. However, Paul says, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. You can have a seat. Thank you. It is a uh, new week. It is definitely a new sermon, uh, but the same theme as last week. If you weren't here, that's okay. Uh, we never try to make a, a second sermon, you know, big time dependent on the first. Every sermon's independent. You'll find out that theme very quickly. God's spy and man's overseer. 1 Corinthians 8 and other scriptures. Uh, in his book, The Art of Turning, The Art of Turning, Kevin DeYoung says this. He says, I think if Christians from an earlier time could come and visit us in our churches, there would be two things that would surprise them most. What do you think he's going to say? If Christians from an earlier time could come and visit us, there would be two things as they visit us and our churches, two things that would surprise them most. Let's see what he says. First, they would be absolutely amazed by our phenomenal prosperity. We have more comforts and conveniences than kings and queens had for almost all of human history. 
Second, I think they would be amazed by how comfortable we have become with sensuality. We might question our entertainment choices, but only briefly. Oh man, that movie had some bad parts. I almost walked out five times, but I managed to get through it. I'm not saying that we have to stay away from watching movies and television and the internet entirely. I have enjoyed all three at different times, but try this. Try this. Do not watch TV or movies for a month or so, and then when you turn it all back on, see if you notice things you had stopped caring about. I now look back at some movies I watched when I was younger and am disappointed in what I used to think was no big deal. He goes on, and this is a bit of a long quote, but listen carefully. Maybe it's not entertainment that is the issue for you and your friends. Maybe your conscience, that's, that's the theme, conscience. Maybe your conscience pricks you about the jokes you tell or your attitude at work. Maybe there are sins you've kept hidden and have never dealt with. Maybe even now you are living a double life and hoping no one will see through your charade. Don't ignore your conscience. Sometimes we see so clearly into someone else's life but not into our own. Are you kicking against the goads? Are you grieving the Holy Spirit? What is your conscience telling you? Is the Holy Spirit pleading with you to see what you have refused to see? When conscience accuses us of wrong, let us turn from the sin with all haste. When conscience accuses us of wrong, let us turn from the sin with all haste. Haste. Indeed. Indeed, may it be so. I do want to look really, really, I'm excited to look with you at 1 Timothy in just a bit. 1 Timothy. And we want to see this morning different types of conscience. Different types of conscience. But first of all, that'll be second, and that'll be the, the main thrust. But first of all, we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And we take in this wonderful chapter, even if briefly. Here's what I want us to see this morning as we look into the Word of God. I want us to see that as believers living in a fallen world, we must both listen to conscience and make sure that our consciences are formed by the Word of God since our consciences are imperfect. As believers living in a fallen world, we have uh, very imperfect consciences. We need to always listen to conscience, but we also need to seek to make sure that we educate our consciences according to the Word of God. Uh, You'll remember that I share with you, and and I just feel like I must do it again. I shared with you last week Uh, you know, that our consciences can change over time. Your conscience can change. You can be in one place in your life when you're uh, 16 or 24 and, and in a different place when you're 50, maybe because uh, you have actually, you've been studying the word of God. You've been reading the word of God and you see that there are things that a holy God, as Pastor Ray was reminding us, There are things like commands that a holy God would say that actually needs to be in your conscience. 
and it hasn't been there. There may be commands from the Lord Jesus Christ. There may be things that need to be there in your conscience, which were not there previously. And so now, in one sense, you have additional rules. It can also be, because your conscience can change, it can also be that there is subtraction, right? That your conscience had been weak, and it's something that just as a matter of fact, that a mature Christian, based on the Word of God, a mature Christian, based on Scripture, would know that their conscience doesn't need to bother them about X, Y, or Z. And so you're no longer 24, you're 50. And so there are things that your conscience used to bother you about that you should have listened to, even though your conscience wasn't totally right. You still listen to conscience, but your conscience changes. And so we gave that wonderful example of Martin Lloyd-Jones, who, if we're honest, to many of us is a hero. And you'll just remember you remember that at age 24, he said, with great conviction and probably with a conscience that changed later on, you remember that he said with great conviction, the modern method of installing a bath in each house is not only a tragedy, but it has been a real curse to humanity. So if you have a shower, or you remember what he said, if you have a shower or a bath or a radio in your house, then he could tell you, you are not spiritual. I heard a story uh, later on that in his old age, uh, I think he died in 81, that he even, the great doctor as he was called, because he was a medical doctor before he began to be a preacher for five decades, I think with his grandchildren, he even watched a little bit of wrestling in his old age. So, Your conscience can inform your convictions, and you can be like really strong on those convictions. And it may be because you have a weak conscience that needs to change, or or it may be because you you, you don't have any pangs, right? You don't have any prick of conscience or pangs of conscience, but actually in some ways, you should. And so your conscience can change over time, and therefore your convictions as well. I really want us to look at 1 Timothy and to see types of conscience. But notice quickly, notice first of all with me, first of all, I want us to see conscience and love. Conscience and love. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. 1 Corinthians 8, 7. And there at the end of that verse, you will see the word, or near the end, you'll see the word, what? Conscience. Look at verse 10, 1 Corinthians 8.10. And in once again, near the end of verse 10, you will see the word conscience. And 1 Corinthians 8.12, it speaks of wounding their conscience. Friends, this morning, let me tell you, let me remind you that conscience is kind of, no, not kind of, conscience is a big deal. Conscience is a big deal in the Bible. It's a big deal in your life. Christian, Christian conscience is a big deal in your life. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, we're so glad you're here. Conscience is a big deal in your life. 
the blood of Jesus Christ that He shed on the cross can cleanse your conscience and change you from having a guilty conscience weighed down with sin to a clear conscience. Christian, you can can struggle. Dear brother and sister, listen to me. You can struggle with a guilty conscience. It may very well mean that you need to repent of your sin. And if your conscience, dear brother and sister, falsely accuses you, then go to the gospel and go to the cross. When Satan tempts me to despair or when or when conscience tempts me to despair, maybe we could say, upward I look and see him there. Now let's actually read this. Let's actually read this. 8, 7. 1 Corinthians 8, 7. However, not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? 1 Corinthians 8.11 And so by your knowledge... And Paul doesn't think a whole lot about their knowledge, their so-called knowledge. By your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. And then, and then if you keep going in chapter 9, Paul says, let me give you an example of this. It's me. Paul. Well, verse 7, verse 10, and verse 12, this issue of conscience. Conscience. So we see here, we see conscience, but we also, I want you to notice this, we see rights. Rights. Look at verse 9 again. He says, take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Very, very, very quickly. Paul, we have knowledge. It's okay for us to do certain things. Corinthians, I don't think a lot about your knowledge. Instead, what you mean is that you have rights that you want to guard at all costs, even if it means harming another brother or sister in the church. He says, take care that this right of yours, and it is a right, it is a right, take care that it does not become a stumbling block to the weak. The issue is love. Conscience and love. Look back at verse 1. What have we seen in our very quick survey so far? We've seen conscience. We've seen rights. Now see love. 1 Corinthians 8.1 Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that, quote, all of us possess knowledge. That's what they had said to him. 
Paul, all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up and makes you like the marshmallow man, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Anybody here this morning think, I'm a pretty knowledgeable person. What we need, God help us, we need is humility. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Listen to this. Man, I thought this was good. Listen, Crossway. I'm speaking to us. I'm speaking to you this morning. Nacelli says this, Wouldn't it be amazing to be in a church where everyone gave each other the benefit of the doubt on these differences instead of putting the worst possible spin on everything? This is for the church. This is for the blood-bought church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which He purchased with His blood. And there's differences within the church. There's differences over matters that it's okay for us to disagree about. And if there's a tender conscience, hey, we want our consciences to be tender. That's a good thing. And even when there's a weak conscience, which is not informed as it ought to be, according to the Word of God, according to the Scriptures, which is our sole rule of faith and practice, I say it again, wouldn't it be amazing to be in a church where everyone gave each other the benefit of the doubt on these differences instead of putting the worst possible spin on everything? Love. Love. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. You know what this passage is about as we're leaving it here? We're leaving this. You know what it's about? It's about that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save sinners. He demonstrates, God demonstrates, listen to me, God demonstrates His love in this, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you, for every one of you who will repent of your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus laid down His life on the cross to save sinners And now, listen, we show our love for Jesus Christ. We show our love for the Lord Jesus by laying down our rights for others in the church. It's glorious and it's beautiful and it really is cross-centered. This is what Jesus did. We show our love for Jesus by going and doing likewise. 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. Turn there. If you go to Hebrews, you've gone too far, okay? 1 Timothy. Let me ask you a question. What type of conscience do you have? The Bible, as we want to see clearly, lays out different types of consciences. Conscience. Think about this. I pray that every one of you will think about it this morning. 
What type of conscience do you have? And we see one type of conscience in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. I hope you're there. It's after, it's after the books of Thessalonians. It's before, of course, 2 Timothy. It's before Hebrews. And in chapter 1, in two different places, we see one type of conscience. Let me pause for a quick second and say again, what is conscience? And it's been described like this. Listen. Conscience functions like a skylight, not a light bulb. Conscience is not like a light bulb. It's like a skylight. It lets light into the soul. It does not produce its own. Conscience is not the word of God. Its effectiveness is determined by the amount of pure light we expose it to and by how clean we keep it. This is MacArthur's skylight. Skylight does not produce its own light. It lets light in and through. That's conscience. Conscience, not a light bulb, a skylight. It is possible to have a sky, listen to me, to have a skylight that's so muddied, that's so dirty, that's so clouded that there actually is no light passing through the skylight. That's why it is uh, most important for us to keep the conscience, the skylight, clear and clean. That's why, as Bill said, what privileged people we are to have the Word of God written. Gutenberg, right? If you cover it or put it in total darkness, then it ceases to function. That's why the Apostle Paul spoke of the importance of a clear conscience. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. The aim, Paul says to Timothy, of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. Get the, get the rolling context. Start in verse 18. This charge, 1 Timothy 1.18, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Now just pause there. Look at the text. Look at the Word of God. 1 Timothy 1.19, Holding faith and a good conscience. Now, 1 Timothy 1.5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. You see that? 1.5, a sincere faith. And 19, holding faith. And verse 5, that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience. Verse 19, holding faith and a good conscience. Notice verse 19. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Now, in the context, no doubt he's speaking primarily about the false teachers, but the application is to every professing Christian. What does he mean? What is the, what's the referent when he says in verse 19, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith? By rejecting what? 
by rejecting a good conscience. People don't change their doctrine because they have studied and they now want to be heretical in their doctrine. People change their doctrine from orthodox doctrine to heresy because of their morality. Listen, what do I mean? It's because you are living in sin and because you're doing what you want to do and therefore your doctrine changes. You have a bad conscience and then you get into heresy. Hypocrisy leads to apostasy. It's not often the case that I'm going to change my mind and not believe in the resurrection of Jesus and then I'm going to go and sleep with whoever I want to sleep with. I'm going to sleep with whoever I want to sleep with And therefore, I no longer believe X, Y, and Z, which you must believe to be a Christian. Morality goes hand in hand with doctrine. All the New Testament is concerned with healthy doctrine. If you have healthy doctrine and you don't have love, there is a big problem. If we have healthy doctrine minus biblical love, That's a big problem. And if you have love without any healthy doctrine, you don't have love. He says in verse 19, or again in verse 18, this charge I entrust to you. Verse 5, are you looking at it? The aim of our charge is love. Well, verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, Timothy, remain at Ephesus. So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Friends, did you know that the church of Jesus Christ and the elders, biblically qualified male elders of the church of Jesus Christ, have this language here in verse 3 is military language. Biblical elders of the church of Jesus Christ have authority from Jesus Christ to charge people not to teach false doctrine. Part of our duty before Jesus Christ is to root out false doctrine. I charge you, Paul says to Timothy, I charge you, these false teachers nip it in the bud. And at the same time, he says, without any contradiction in verse 5, the aim of our charge is love. Look at it. Listen, the aim of our charge is love. Did you know this verse right here is central and foundational for 1 Timothy? And this is central for Crossway Church. So we're just about 13 years old. And very early on, uh, when I was... Uh, casting vision for our church. You know how I feel about that term? Ah. (laughs) Casting vision. Well, the Bible says where there's no vision, the people perish. So therefore, that means the church is a business. We need to cast vision. I don't like it. I don't like it. But this was one of the verses that I just want to say has been central for us from day one. Healthy doctrine. Absolutely. If it is without love, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, without love, I am nothing. The aim of our charge is love, he says. 
But look, look. There's a, there's a spring underneath it. Oh, there's all kinds of definitions of love. Like we looked down here on Wednesday night, like Paul Washer said, you know, attributes of God. Well, love. Well, what do you mean by love? What's your definition of love? There's a spring beneath it. There's a fountain. It says the aim of our charge is love that issues. It's like, it's like look, it's like here's the ground, and there's this, this spring of love. What's underneath it? Love that issues from a, see it there in 1 Timothy 1.5, from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. It's not loving to not hold the sound doctrine. That's actually part of the very definition of hatred, to hate other people, is to just allow false doctrine to go unchecked. That is not good. This is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And he just, he just, listen, he just keeps talking about this. And he keeps putting together in this book, conscience, a good conscience, and faith. How is your conscience this morning? What type of conscience do you have? I didn't point this out, but already in 1 Corinthians 8, you have a weak conscience. Listen, you can have a wounded conscience. You can have a defiled conscience. And that's just from 1 Corinthians 8 where we were. A weak conscience, a wounded conscience, a defiled conscience. What type of conscience do you have this morning? Oh, conscience is very important in your life and in the Bible. And in these two verses here, we see that there is a good conscience. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 8. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. He's been talking about elders, bishops, overseers, pastors. Do any of you men here this morning, young men, aspire? Do any of you young men aspire to the office of elder, bishop, overseer? Well, that's not enough. You've got to be checked out meticulously by the church, but that's a good aspiration. 1 Timothy 3.8, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They, who's they? Are you with me? Who's they? Deacons. Deacons must hold the mystery of the faith with a, what? With a clear conscience. Well, there's Paul again, putting faith and conscience together. Deacons must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, etc., etc. Again, the focus is obviously verse 9. Deacons are not required by Scripture to be apt to teach. Elders must be able to teach. Deacons... 
do not have to be able to teach, but nevertheless, deacons should be sharing the gospel, ministering to mercy needs, where they teach indirectly, if not directly. Deacons sometimes, like Stephen, teach directly, always indirectly. Deacons must be orthodox. I don't mean the church in the eastern part of the world when I say orthodox. I mean sound doctrine. I mean biblical doctrine. They must know the gospel. They must know sound doctrine. You know, when somebody becomes a citizen of our nation, what is said? What, they take an oath. When somebody takes an oath to become a citizen of our nation, they do so as part of that oath without mental reservation or purpose of evasion. You've heard that before? I am doing this without mental reservation or purpose of evasion. I think of that like the deacons. I hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. There's nothing I'm holding back from you, elders who are examining me. He's got a, he, he's got a grasp of sound doctrine. There's no reservation. There's no hesitance. It's an embrace. 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter four. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who know, who believe and know the truth, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Look again at verse 2. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. What type of conscience do you have this morning? We see that the deacons must have a clear conscience. Chapter 1, two times a good conscience. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, defiled conscience. Wounded conscience, weak conscience. What does it say there in 1 Timothy 4.2? Please notice this. The conscience is seared. It's like this. It's like this. The conscience is like an alarm clock. I did this this morning. The first time a man commits a particular sin the alarm bell rings all over his conscience. But the next time he commits the same sin, it's not nearly as alarming. This isn't so bad, he says to himself. I've done this once or twice before. The man carefully locates the snooze button on his conscience so that next time he is able to disarm it more quickly. Eventually, he unplugs his conscience altogether and slumbers unto death. That's Riken. Quote from Riken. Ugh, shut up. Shut up. Eventually, he unplugs his conscience altogether and slumbers unto death. 
There's a seared conscience. Well, we could go on to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I thank my God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. Hey, get this. Paul even had a clear conscience when he was murdering Christians. Your conscience can be way wrong. Paul, listen, Paul had a clear conscience when he was coming against the church of Jesus Christ. Second Timothy 1.3, Titus. These are called the pastoral epistles. They're all written by Paul. Titus chapter 1, verse 15. Listen to this. Listen, Titus 1.15, to the pure. Dear friend, is this you this morning? Through the, through the blood of Jesus Christ? He died on the cross for sinners so that we would become perfect. No, so that we would become perfect through Him. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. There are only two ways to live. This is language is not language that we're always comfortable. These people, says Paul, are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. You're on, you're on one path or another this morning, dear friend. Don't fool yourself. Don't fool yourself. He says, to the pure, all things are pure. Again, Titus 1.15, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing's pure. Their minds and their consciences are defiled. And let me remind you, dear Christian, dear Christian, if your conscience condemns you unjustly, then fly to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because there's a, there is a fountain filled with blood. Just like that fountain we talked about earlier that springs up with love. Well, let me find this and I'm closing it and I really mean it. 1 Corinthians 8, conscience and love. 1 Timothy chapter 1, two times in chapter 1, chapter 3, deacons, chapter 4 in 1 Timothy, the seared conscience, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3, Titus 1 15, 31 times I think conscience in the New Testament, 31 times, 20 times conscience in Paul's letters, 5 in Hebrews, which makes 25 for Paul, and then some in Acts and some in 1 Peter, conscience, conscience, conscience. Friends, it matters. What type of conscience do you have? Clear? Good? Defiled? Weak? Strong? Seared? Look at the book of Acts. Look at Corinthians. Look at Paul's letters. Look at Hebrews. Look at 1 Peter. Conscience, conscience, conscience. I leave you with this. Eight questions that each Christian must face when deciding whether or not to indulge in a given activity. Here's food that's been offered that's sacrificed to idols. What should I do? Here's my brother who's watching me. I have a right. Eight questions that each Christian must face when deciding whether or not to indulge in a given activity. Am I fully persuaded that it is right? Number one, am I fully persuaded that it is right? Number two, can I do it as unto the Lord? Number three, can I do it without being a stumbling block to my brother or sister in Christ? Number four, does it bring peace? Number five, does it edify my brother? Number six, is it profitable? Number seven, does it enslave me? 
you're a Christian, you are a slave of Jesus Christ. You can only be a slave of two masters, not a third. Satan or Jesus Christ? Yourself or Jesus Christ? Does it enslave me? And finally, does it bring glory to God? 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Those eight questions from Feinberg. Let us pray together. Lord, help us to see from your word and then in our lives because you know us and your word searches us. Help us to see the great importance of this issue. Help us to answer honestly, what type of conscience do I have? And Lord, help us not only to just stay with that question, but help us to move on to repentance of sin. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, through Jesus Christ. And we thank you that his crimson blood can wash us as white as snow. So may we today, may we today know with full assurance the cleansing, white as snow, not because of our perfection, no, not at all, but because of Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. We thank you for your love, Father. Help us to be a church that is filled with biblical love. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.